Christchurch, New Malden. 19th of September 2021, 9.30 service. Ruth Henson speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the Church of God. Well, as Stephen said, we're in our third week of our series entitled, How the Bible Presents the Church. And at first glance, our topic today might seem like a surprising one. How can we gain insight into the biblical vision of the church simply by studying the topic Church of God? Well, hopefully over the course of the next few minutes, we'll see how. Our English word church has several interpretations, doesn't it? It would be interesting to survey a random selection of people and ask them what they think of when they hear the word church. For the majority of people, the first thing that would most likely spring to mind is the church as a building. Others might think of different denominations, the Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, etc. Another concept which might be mentioned is the established church or the church as an institution, not necessarily held in high esteem. For some people, the idea of ordained ministry or going into the church might be something they associate the word with. Or they might just think of going to church as in a particular congregation or service. Are you going to church tomorrow? For the early church in the New Testament, most of those interpretations would be completely alien. For example, they didn't meet in specially set-aside buildings like our churches until the fourth century. Factions and divisions did appear, but separate denominations were yet to exist, as is also the case with the church as an established institution. The one they would probably relate to most is the idea of going to church, because it points to the concept of meeting together for worship, which Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, where he warns against divisions when they assemble together as a church to share the Lord's Supper. Our actual English word, church, is also rather unhelpful in assisting us to get to grips with the biblical interpretation, although its root meaning is still a positive and encouraging concept. Along with the German word Kirche, the Swedish word kirke, please ignore my pronunciation if I'm <laughs> completely uh, ruining these words. The Slavic word kirkov and the Scottish word kirk. The word church stems from the Byzantine word kurike, meaning belonging to the Lord. But several European languages take their word for church from a different source. If you took French, Spanish, or Italian GCSE or O-level, or have traveled in those countries, you might remember that the French word for church is église, the Spanish word is iglesia, and the Italian is chiesa. Closer to home in Wales, they use eglouis, and in Latin, the word is ecclesia, giving our word ecclesiastical. All of these use the Greek word ecclesia as their root. It is this word which is used by Jesus in Matthew 16 when he speaks of Peter 
as the rock on which he will build his church. And it is this word that is used when the church of God is mentioned throughout the New Testament, such as in our second reading, where the Corinthians are being addressed. The word ecclesia was in common usage before it came to be used as in a Christian context and is an example of a familiar secular term being adopted by the early church. In Athens, the ecclesia was the convened assembly of the people. It consisted of all of the citizens of the city who had not lost their civic rights for any reason. Everyone had an equal right and an equal duty to take part. In Acts 19, the word is used three times, translated assembly, to describe a secular council in Ephesus, meeting together to discuss Paul's ministry and its impact. Members of the early church would have been very familiar with using ecclesia to mean gathering, assembly, or meeting. But by adding of God, or sometimes of Christ, they adapted it to fit the purpose they needed. Ecclesia itself is a compound word made up of ek, meaning out, and klesia, meaning called. So a literal translation is called out, but the interpretation was closer to summoned together, which is why assembly is often seen as an appropriate translation. When the word is used of the church in the New Testament, its usage falls into four categories. It is sometimes referring to the universal church. In other words, the entire company of believers, both living and dead. At other times, it refers to a particular local church, such as the fellowship of believers in Corinth in our second reading. Sometimes it is used as a more general term for believers actually gathering together for worship in any place, which is close to our concept in English of going to church. And it is sometimes used to describe the small house churches or meetings which were starting to be held regularly in certain towns and cities as the body of believers grew, but before church buildings as we think of as we think of them, existed. Those uses of the word ecclesia might sound rather distinct, but in his book, I Believe in the Church, the writer David Watson points out, it always speaks of the coming together of God's people in answer to his call, in order to meet with God in the company of each other and to meet each other in the presence of God. The coming together of God's people in answer to his call, in order to meet with God in the company of each other and to meet each other in the presence of God. Sounds like a church I'd be happy to go to. I don't know about you. But we can understand more about the word ecclesia and what it means for us as the church of God today by understanding how the concept was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. The equivalent term in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kahal, which comes from the root meaning to summon. It is used over 70 times in the Old Testament to describe the assembly or congregation of the people of Israel. 
The theologian Michael Griffiths suggests four aspects of God's summoning of the people of Israel, which went on to be vital elements of the New Testament church, and in turn should guide and challenge us as the Church of God in 2021. Firstly, called out. The people of Israel were those God had called out. God chose the Israelites to be his people. And as we heard in our first reading from Hosea, he literally called them out from their slavery in Egypt and kept on calling them, even when they wandered away from him. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. In this calling out from Egypt, we see a wonderful foreshadowing of the Church of God. They were released from their slavery by God's rescue plan, as we can be saved from our enslavement to sin and death, thanks to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. They underwent a metaphorical baptism as they crossed through the Red Sea, just as we are welcomed into the church family through the sacrament of baptism. And they finally entered the promised land as we look forward to enjoying God's kingdom when it comes in its fullness. Their rescue from Egypt and subsequent freedom was wholly dependent on God's miraculous intervention. They could do nothing to free themselves, and even after the exodus, they continued to rely, rely on God's provision and care, despite often throwing it back in his face by their words and actions. Our passage from Hosea continued, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. The church, as foreshadowed by the Israelites, is the called out people of God. Without God's love, initiative, salvation, revelation and call, there would be no church. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul remonstrates with the church in Corinth because of the factions which have developed. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. In recognising the church as God's called out people, inheriting that title from the people of Israel, we can find both comfort and challenge when we look to this reminder of God's sovereignty. When our church goes through difficult times or faces tough situations, we should remember that God is sovereign and ready to intervene. His grace is sufficient to sustain us. When new initiatives we try fail to get off the ground, 
we should remember that God is the one to bring about growth and ask him to show us the strategies which will bear fruit for his kingdom. Conversely, when we experience success in our initiatives and new growth in our church, we must remember the source of that success and acknowledge this is only possible as we rely on God to equip and use us in his service. And when division and factions emerge, we should remember our call to be united to the God who has summoned us. And from that unity with God, unity with our brothers and sisters will follow with God's help. I should just pause to point out that there are some theologians who see alarm bells when they consider a literal translation of ecclesia as called out. This is because they think it encourages the church to keep itself separate from the world in a holy huddle, rather than engaging with the needs and issues of the communities we live in and striving to bring more of God's transforming love and light to those who desperately need it. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's the darkness we are called out from, not our communities, and we are called into the light, which we should in turn seek to pour into the darkness which we see around us. As the saying goes, we are in the world, but not of the world. We are citizens of God's kingdom, even while we live out our daily lives in the communities where God has placed us. People should notice something different about us because of the transforming work of God in our lives and our calling to share his love and light with all. I like the phrase, be different, to make a difference. On Tuesday evening, Leeds United are playing Fulham in the EFL Cup at Craven Cottage. Former members of Christchurch, Shervin and Debbie Najand, have managed to get two extra tickets so that John Cook and I, both ardent Leeds fans, can attend the match. The only proviso is that we will be sitting at the Fulham end, so we need to blend in to avoid any issues. No Leeds shirt or scarf, no cheering the many goals we'll hopefully score, and no joining in with the anthem, marching on together. I'm not sure how I'm going to resist singing, but we'll see how it goes. How often do we choose to blend in to avoid confrontations in our everyday lives? Are our words and actions distinct from those around us who have not answered God's call? Are we willing to be different, to make a difference? Let's ask the sovereign God to equip us for this challenge as we rely on his grace to enable us. Secondly, called for. The purpose of God's call was relationship. This was the basis of God's covenant with both Abraham and Moses, and Abraham is described as God's friend, God's presence was with his people in the wilderness in the form of a pillar of cloud and fire to guide them. And then his presence remained with them in the tabernacle and then the temple. 
Wherever Israel went, God's presence was with them so that they could enjoy relationship with him. Jesus called his disciples friends, and our reading from 1 Corinthians 1 reminded us that we too are called into fellowship with him. And he has sent his spirit to dwell in us, to help us grow in our relationship with him. It is much easier for relationships to grow and develop when there is communication. So we should find time regularly to spend communicating with God by reading his word, the Bible, and coming before him in prayer, also ready to hear the answers he has for us. When you break a stick of rock anywhere along its length, you will find the name of the seaside resort it came from. It was created to be a souvenir of that location. Our church, in any and every part, should have relationship with God at its core, both personally and corporately. It's what we were called for. Let's be ready and willing to examine whether this is true for us as individuals and also as our church family. Then thirdly, called together. The people of Israel were called into community. They experienced the highs and lows of the Exodus together. The covenant with Abraham was not on a one-to-one basis, but entailed the promise of descendants as countless as the grains of sand or stars. In due course, the church was extended the invitation into God's family. We are children of God, co-heirs with Christ, and brothers and sisters to our fellow Christians. As the action song reminds us, we're part of the big family of God. Now, community is not something which will develop and thrive if we only think of it as the one hour we spend together on a Sunday. True community will only be experienced when it is lived out seven days a week. We need to build up relationships with our brothers and sisters, meet their needs with practical acts of love and service, and share our gifts for the building up of our church community. How appropriate that our church byline is God's community, in the community, for the community. But it's easy to confuse activity with community. Some churches have countless opportunities for activity every day of the week, but a sense of community is utterly absent as individuals take part in these events without the opportunity to build the relationships that community relies on. There needs to be love and forgiveness. There needs to be a sharing of lives. There needs to be God's grace to see others as he sees them so that we can reach out to those in need of God's touch in their lives. As the American church leader Jeff Schiffmeyer said, the effectiveness of our ministry depends on the fervency of our love for one another. At this time of transition from lockdown in our church, it will be very tempting to organise a host of events because we suddenly can again. But these events will find their value in the opportunities they present to develop true community amongst those who attend. Let's ask for God's wisdom to facilitate community 
through the endeavours we undertake. And finally, called to. Abraham was called into covenant with the promise of an inheritance. The Israelites journeyed with the goal of reaching the promised land. And we have the Holy Spirit as the down payment on our inheritance, which can never spoil or fade. Eternity in God's presence in his kingdom. An ecclesia church will be dynamic rather than static. The common view of the established church as stayed and stuck in its ways doesn't fit with this calling. We can remain true to God's word and expectations without fearing change and new ways of being and doing church. We need to be relevant to the community we serve as we hold out God's sure and certain hope. David Watson puts it like this. The church must learn to be on the move, always relevant for today's world. If it cannot speak in the language and culture of this present generation, whom it has been called to serve, it is tragically out of touch, not only with the world of today, but also with the God of today. Of course, God himself never changes. His love and truth endure forever. Yet our understanding of him and his communication through us should be changing all the time. Despite what the average person on the street might think, the Church of God is not the building we meet in and is not limited by any of those other definitions we considered at the start. Rather, the Church is the people God has summoned and assembled. It is those he has called out to live distinct lives which will make a difference to those around them. It is those who are called for relationship with him who will ensure that that relationship is at the heart of all they do. It is those who have been called together to build true and transformative community. And it is those who have been called to eternity in God's kingdom. But that journey begins now and will require us to be dynamic and relevant as we extend God's invitation and share his love and light with those around us.